This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. If you're enjoying this podcast, you know the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. They shouldn't expect maybe anything quite as exciting as drum and bass or whatever. <laughs> Give it a minute or two at least, uh, because uh, the riches that uh, some music offers may not be apparent at first. That's pianist Mark andre Hamlin encouraging you to check out his latest two-CD compilation. It features sonatas and rondos by Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach. Mark andre Hamlin first discovered these pieces, or at least got really into them, when his wife, who is a classical radio host, played some on the radio, and he was mesmerized by one of the pieces, which does appear on this recording. You're going to find out more about that and how he actually played this composer the first time he was on stage and he didn't know it. It's all in this week's edition of New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. First of all, let me just ask you, how are you? Absolutely fine. I mean, uh, it's a little bit difficult to be away from home for so long because uh, this is a four-week, four-full-week trip away from home. You know, and uh, well, it started in Moscow, but the rest is in Europe actually. And um, you know, times are difficult because of Corona, and uh, I, I just uh, have to play concerts again. What can I say? You know. How has that been? I mean, what was that like, the transition from not performing to getting back on the stage? What was that experience like for you? How did it feel? Well, it was absolutely fine. And it actually didn't take long because uh, uh, we started um, having our concerts canceled in around Mar- well, in March of 2020. And uh, right away in September, I did have a concert with audience, believe it or not. And it was in Canada. It was a uh, it was a recital in a rather large church. So I didn't have time to miss the audience too much, oh, wow. as it turns out. I wonder um, what you might have discovered about yourself in the last year and a half or so during COVID that maybe surprised you. Well, I've, I had never gotten uh, uh, such an opportunity to spend time with my family and my and my wife ever since I've known her um, because I've, I'm always traveling you know but this this was such a pro- prolonged uh, uh, stay at home you know that uh, it, uh, that was really the one positive aspect of it you know so that I was I was able to <laughs> to be with my wife and my family so uh, that was particularly wonderful there's nothing like it. I'm hearing it. that from more and more musicians, and fortunately, they are finding that to be a positive experience. <laughs> you That's know, good. once you, you realize, oh, we're spending a lot of time together. Do we like each other? <laughs> <laughs> on, that, uh, on that count, there's absolutely no Wonderful. problem. Well, let's dive into your new recording, which celebrates the keyboard music of Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach. Why did you want to create this two-CD set? Well, because I, I, I became quite enthusiastic about the music, uh, and this was a, a little while ago, actually. The, I can tell you how it all started. 
my wife, uh, Kathy Fuller, is uh, a radio host, a classical radio host in uh, Boston at, uh, um, for WCRB, which is uh, owned by WGBH. And uh, we're talking, I think, 2008 or 2009, and I was listening at home list, uh, to her broadcast, and she put on one of the cuts from Mikhail Pletnyev's uh, CPE Bach CD on Deutsche Grammophon, which uh, had come out just a little while before. And uh, what she chose to play was a little sonata in E minor, which is not even eight minutes, in three movements. And the third movement is goes along, it's just like two pages in score. And uh, suddenly uh, the composer decides to finish the piece, just cuts off the piece in the middle of a phrase. in a not completely resolved harmony. And I thought, my God, this is like in the 1780s, you know, this is extremely avant-garde. And I, I ran to the score, which by coincidence I'd acquired a few weeks before. And sure enough, you know, uh, this wasn't an editing mistake on part of the record companies, because that does happen sometimes, as you know. Um, some measures get lopped off, uh, other measures get... Uh, added or repeated, you know, upon editing. But this was absolutely what C.P. Ibach wrote, and uh, I thought, wow, this is, uh, more of this is worth exploring. So I started sight-reading at the keyboard, and I was just fascinated by the daring, and, and also the delight, the delightful quality of the music. What I was centering on at that point because I had the scores, were um, something that he wrote in the latter part of his life, and uh, that was a collection, um, a six-part collection, I should say, of piano pieces, mostly sonatas, fantasias, and rondos for amateurs and connoisseurs. That's what he called them. And uh, that's where one finds uh, his most experimental stuff. Although, as I got to know the earlier stuff and stuff from, um, you know, his whole life, I did see that even at the beginning, you know, he was really experimenting in his music. You know, he, it wasn't completely straight. And, and he, he was definitely uh, trying, in many respects, to distance himself away stylistically from his father. And uh, he became absolutely his own man, and uh, that's one of the many things I admire about him. Your relationship with Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach actually goes much further back from when you were about nine years old. Oh, you read about that. You didn't realize it at the time. Can you talk a little bit about how basically this composer was maybe the first one you ever performed? Yes, what happened was that uh, the first time I played in public, the first time I was on a stage, was a competition, a local competition in Montreal when I was nine. And uh, I played a group of five pieces. I mean, there was Beethoven, Kabalevsky, and, uh, and whatnot. But the first piece of the group was a little march in G major, which the score said was by J.S. Bach, uh, because that is actually what we thought at the time, but it has since been 
determined that it, that it is CPE Bach. So, uh, in essence, CPE Bach was the first composer I ever played in public. And that little march appears on this recording, this and, two CD recording uh, set. Yes, and I have to confess, that's probably the only reason I put it on there. <laughs> well, when you play that little march today, what do you think about? What does that feel like to play it again so many years later? Oh, it's a very, very handy way to remember uh, that little instance of the first uh, public appearance. You know, it, uh, and uh, it puts me back in that room in a certain sense which I remember very well. And I also remember that uh, I just strode to the piano confidently and played my music. And uh, from the very beginning, you know, from that instant, you know, uh, I realized that I, I, I just didn't have any kind of stage fright. I never have. I mean, I, I can wow. get nervous for other reasons, for reasons of preparation or, or uh, perhaps uh, not ideal conditions, like not an ideal piano or not an ideal acoustic or whatever. Or uh, if I, it used to be that if I knew a certain critic was in the hall, maybe it would influence my playing. But otherwise, I've never been afraid of the public itself. Uh, I've always regarded the public as, as, uh, as a friend, really, as uh, an entity to share with and to celebrate with. You just mentioned uh, having the right piano and how important that is. You play a Steinway on these uh, pieces, which one of the things we know about C.P.E. Bach is he was writing at a time when the keyboard was dramatically changing. And one of the things you said was, this is a testament to his music, that you can play it on any instrument, basically. Yes, and one can certainly say the same thing about his father's music. I mean, it translates incredibly well to uh, for being arranged to, for almost anything, any combination or any uh, any other instrument. Uh, uh, something that you really couldn't achieve with Chopin. I mean, try to play a Chopin Nocturne on the harpsichord; it just won't work because you need the sustaining power. I mean, you need the uh, extra color, you know, really, that the, that the modern piano can provide. And I have to say that the modern piano is really what I grew up with. It's a sound I've always had in my ear, as well as the modern, temp uh, the, the equal temperament that uh, is inherent to the, uh, to the modern piano. And I prefer to exploit and explore all of the colors I can and all of the emotional possibilities, really, that the piano, even being a black and white instrument, I mean, it's full of colors. And I, 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 all I have to do is draw them out. Sometimes it's more difficult than others. I mean, I, when you don't have the right instrument, as I said, you know, or as you said, it can be a tall order. As a matter of fact, I can offer a, a very, I mean, the most recent example. I'm here in Dresden, in Germany, and uh, I uh, was asked to do the piano concerto by Max Reger, which is an enormous kind of monster. Uh, uh, it's, I think it's, I, I mean, it, it's hard to say about the audience appeal. I mean, uh, it, it's a very interesting piece, but uh, I don't think 
everybody takes to it. Although I have a strange kind of affection for it. I mean, but I, that's all parenthetical. Yesterday, for the first rehearsal, I was given on stage, I wasn't asked what piano I wanted. I didn't know if there was even a choice. But I was given a uh, piano, so I started to play it, and I just had trouble getting uh, the sound that I needed, the, 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 the fullness you know, of sound that really is needed for this piece. And uh, I was just straining and trying to get the volume out. And uh, then I realized that uh, there was another piano stored somewhere. And I said, can I try that? And uh, they said, sure. Well, as a matter of fact, one of your colleagues was playing um, uh, Liszt's second concerto uh, a few weeks ago. And that's the one that he chose. I thought, okay, if it worked with Liszt, you know, maybe it's worth a try. And... Indeed, you know, it is so much better. So that's the piano I'm going to play on tonight. Wonderful. Advocating for yourself. Good job. <laughs> I used to be a, a kind of shy and, uh, I mean, at the very beginning, you know, and uh, not knowing whether I should ask, whether I had any right to ask for certain things, you know. And uh, now now I, I realize that I can certainly talk freely and I'm expected to, really. The Solfeggio in C minor closes out the first CD in this two-CD set, and it's a piece that you also knew early on. And did I read that you have written a piece based on that work, too? <laughs> yeah. I've uh, written uh, three pieces uh, for the player piano, specifically for the player piano, just like Conlon Nancaro uh, devoted his whole life to. But I've written three of them, and I, it was partly inspired by him and also partly inspired by the fact that I grew up with the player piano as a medium because my grandparents had one. And I used to have a lot of fun just pumping rolls, you know, and we had all kinds of things. I just had the idea once about exploiting this piece contrapuntally, uh, what it would sound like if... Well, I can tell you what happens. I mean, you hear the whole piece once, and it's, it's a perpetual motion. It never stops. And it segues directly into another iteration of the piece with another voice added. So it's all in 16th notes. So the other voice is just as fast, you know, and it's note for note. So, so you hear two voices, and then it repeats again with three with four, and then uh, finally with five. So it's called solfeggetto at cinque, so uh, uh, solfeggetto with five voices. Um, it's fun. It's, it's on a CD somewhere in, uh, on a German label, on the MDG label, and uh, I think it's still available. And I, I, I think it can probably be found more easily on YouTube. Oh, fun. I'll check that out. Mark, if you were describing this compilation to somebody who isn't familiar with Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, how would you encourage them to check it out and listen to it? Well, it depends what their exposure to classical music has been. I mean, if, if they don't know anything about classical music, uh, or if they do, I think in both cases, though, it would be still enjoyable. I mean, I mean uh, they, they shouldn't expect anything quite as exciting as drum and bass or whatever. <laughs> um, contrary to uh, most rock, there's probably not... Gonna, they wouldn't find that it's got a lot of sex. 
but if you really give it a listen, you know, uh, all, uh, that's all that's about. I mean, sample it, and it's free. If it's for you, great. I mean, give it. Uh, be sure to give it more than a few seconds, of course, uh, because it's easy to just drop the needle and say, ah, nah, nah, nah. Uh, give it a minute or two at least, uh, because uh, the riches that uh, some music offers may not be apparent at first. And it's perfectly possible that you, you can just grow into it, you know. What are some of the riches you've discovered in his music? And can you maybe give me an example of where we would hear that? He loved to surprise you and to take unexpected directions. Um, it's a little bit angular. Sometimes the changes are really quite abrupt. You, if you take, for example, there's a, an extended rondo in E major. At one point, there is a completely unexpected change of key. And also a rhythm, I mean, because it, 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 there it goes, you know, from the beginning in, in a sort of a quiet four. But some, uh, 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 suddenly he goes into a kind of a, a barcarolle rhythm for absolutely no reason except for variety, I guess. But it's, it's a very sudden kind of variety, you know, and you just don't expect it. Philip Emanuel Bach was an incredibly prolific keyboard composer, and one reason you wanted to make this compilation was to actually encourage more pianists to play his music. Why do you think so much of his music has been somewhat neglected? I don't know. Um, I frankly don't know, and it really shouldn't be, because it's at least as good, I think, as uh, Haydn's music. Um, now, Haydn, one could argue, is not played that much, but it's certainly played much more. I mean, some great artists like uh, Andros Schiff and Alfred Brendel have uh, recorded copious amounts of it. Uh, but it still doesn't have the stature uh, in pianists' consciousness of Mozart's or Beethoven's sonatas, for example. Uh, I would say... Well, first of all, there is so much to look into. I mean, the complete edition that just came out of, of the keyboard works in 18 volumes, <laughs> count them, 18, includes all of the 150 or so sonatas, plus many sets of variations and rondos and suites and fantasias, you know. Uh, so there's a lot to sample. I mean, when you look at this stuff, it's like opening a great package after another, you know, and it, uh, every package is full of surprises. And, uh, you know, you, you, uh, as with any music, you know, when exploring any composer, you will find that some of it is more appealing than others, that's normal, you know, but uh, there is such a lot of wonderful surprises to be had.
open this delightful package with the fiery sonata in A minor from 1770. And this piece demonstrates how C.P.E. Bach relished that sustaining power of the piano across all registers. Can you talk about what that means for you as a performer? Well, it's it's an expansion of possibilities, really. That's, uh, that's all it means. I, I, I really, as I, I, was, I was saying before, I mean, I really relish the, uh, uh, the range of possibilities of the modern piano. I mean, whatever you can believe is possible on the piano, the actual reality goes at least like tenfold or more. Um, I always enjoy saying that uh, one should be able or could be able to reproduce ideally you know all the adjectives in the dictionary you know uh, emotionally on the piano and uh, if you start with that in mind you know uh, the sky's the limit Philip Emanuel Bach lived through an era where the mechanics of the keyboard instruments were evolving at an unprecedented rate. And that evolution is represented in this compilation. Can you give us a couple of examples of how we hear that in his music, the evolution of the, the keyboard mechanics? Well, the, um, the one piece that was written specifically not only for the clavichord, but for a clavichord is, uh, it, it, the, well, the title is very explicit. I mean, he is bidding farewell to an instrument that he had owned for decades, and he was just giving it as a present to somebody. And uh, this piece is a very, very slow, wistful, playing to himself kind of thing, you know, lamenting the impending absence, you know, the, um, the departure of this instrument. And uh, he said in a letter to the future owner, uh, this piece, it, it's absolutely impossible to play on any other instrument. <laughs> it would be interesting, of course, if the, the, the instrument had survived, which I don't believe it has. Um, but if you've played the clavichord, as I have tried to do, it's really not easy. Um, you uh, you at least get a sense of what this piece could sound like, at least remotely. But then you have uh, uh, pieces at the at the uh, end of his life. You know the, the the more experimental music, which was written for um, a much more advanced uh, instrument. You know, a, a, a hammer piano. The music of Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach makes complex stylistic demands of the performer, like little else of its time. I'm wondering, is there a piece that was somewhat challenging for you as you were putting together this compilation? And if so, what made it challenging? Was there a piece that you, as you were learning it, you were like, whoa? <laughs> well, the saving grace is, is that just like Haydn's sonatas, for example, the, the music is never digitally that challenging. If 
you have a good grasp of the the, the pianistic vocabulary, the musical vocabulary of uh, the period, you know, the the, the various um, figurations that these composers were using, it's really not that difficult. What is difficult is really making making it sound like something special. I mean. Uh, Uh, God's in the details, you know, uh, 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 rounding out phrases um, elegantly, uh, paying really special uh, attention to articulation, to uh, a proper sort of exposition of the form, you know, giving the music direction, a sense that it's going somewhere. That's really much more important, I think, than mere um, keyboard considerations or digital considerations. There is a short little piece on the second CD that you love using as an encore. In fact, it's one of your favorite encores. Can you talk about that little piece? It's called La Complaisante in French. Um, It's just a very uh, slow and stately and gentle, tender minuet. And um, I can't possibly put any any words to it without spoiling it for the listener, I think. Uh, There's no particular associations to it or with it. It's just... um, really sumptuously beautiful, that's all I can say. I think when you select encores to play after a recital, and that's sort of a minor art in itself because there's some very important considerations. You have to think of the audience first and foremost. You can't think of yourself. You, uh, you are sort of kissing them, you're hugging them at the end of a recital, you know. Uh, you're thanking them, uh, you're delighting them, surprising them. So I think that, and this sounds terribly, what's the word I could use? Uh, uh, um, plain to say, but the way that the pieces end, that you select as encores, is critically important because I'm not talking about anything flashy or whatever, you know. It, it, but it's it's you want to leave them with with a, with a specific impression, you know. It, 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 the ending, I think, will color the whole piece, you know, what has just gone before, and I think that's very important. It's almost like um, I was just thinking of the term palate cleanser at the end of a a big performance. You know, you're kind of cleansing our palate so that we can take a little breath and, and head out the door. Yes. Well, uh, these days, uh, my second half of uh, my recital program is, the, is Beethoven's Hammerklavier Sonata, which is a 45-minute monster. So I've um, often apologized. Uh, maybe not apologize is the, is the wrong word, but just before I play La Complaisante, um, I say, please allow me to relax now. <laughs> And I launch into it. And I'm sure they're happy to honor that. Mark, as you were putting together this compilation, what was most memorable for you now that you look back at, you know, the work and the effort you put into it? Well, I kept thinking, 
You know, th there's hardly any recording I've ever done which hasn't been for... Uh, to encourage pianists to explore that particular repertoire. And of course, you know, it, it, it has to entice the public and, and interest the public. But um, I'm doing it really for a reason that, that this repertoire needs to be promoted and uh, freshened in people's memories and consciousnesses. So my, my dearest hope, really my dominating sentiment really was that this recording would have a good future uh, not only as far as sales of course that's that's obvious but also as encur an encouragement to to listen to more of uh, CPE Bach and play more of CPE Bach that was really the main thing I think Andre Hamlin talking about Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach and his new two CD compilation. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer of New Classical Tracks. I'm Julia Macher, and this is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media.